Jeremiah chapter 18 is where we will be reading today. We will be reading the entirety of this chapter, Jeremiah chapter 18, verses 1 through 23. And as is my custom, I'll be reading out of the New King James Version this morning. God's word declares in Jeremiah 18, verse 1, the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter, so he made it again into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter, says the Lord? Look, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. The instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up, to pull down, and to destroy it, if that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I thought to bring upon it. And the instant I speak concerning a nation, concerning a kingdom, to build and to plant it, if it does evil in my sight so that it does not obey my voice, then I will relent concerning the good with which I said I would benefit it. Now therefore speak to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am fashioning a disaster and devising a plan against you. Return now, every one from his evil way, and make your ways and your doings good. And they said, That is hopeless. We will walk according to our own plans, and we will every one obey the dictates of his evil heart. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Ask now among the Gentiles who has heard such things. The virgin of Israel has done a very horrible thing. Will a man leave the snow water of Lebanon, which comes from the rock of the field? Will the cold flowing waters be forsaken for strange waters? Because my people have forgotten me, they have burned incense to worthless idols, and they have caused themselves to stumble in their ways from the ancient paths, to walk in the paths and not on a highway, to make their land desolate and a perpetual hissing. Everyone who passes by it will be astonished and shake his head. I will scatter them as with an east wind before the enemy. I will show them the back and not the face in the day of their calamity. Then they said, Come, and let us devise plans against Jeremiah. For the law shall not perish from the priest, nor counsel from the wise, nor the word from the prophet. Come and let us attack him with the tongue, and let us not give heed to any of his words. Give heed to me, O Lord, and listen to the voice of those who contend with me. Shall evil be repaid for good, for they have dug a pit for my life. Remember that I stood before you to speak good for them, to turn away your wrath from them. Therefore deliver up their children to the famine and pour out their blood by the force of the sword. Let their wives become widows and bereaved of their children. Let their men be put to death. Their young men be slain by the sword in battle. Let a cry be heard from their houses when you bring a troop suddenly upon them. For they have dug a pit to take me and hidden snares for my feet. Yet, Lord, you know all their counsel, which is against me to slay me. Provide no atonement for their iniquity, nor blot out their sin from your sight. But let them be overthrown before you. Deal thus with them in the time of your anger. 
Well, it's been a little while because we had the interjection of our resurrection service last Sunday since we've been in Jeremiah. And uh, I was tempted to bypass this today and have more of a Mother's Day message. Um, I chose not to because of all the work I've been doing for Sunday night. <laughs> so um, I want to persist in the Jeremiah passage. That does not mean we are discounting that role that our mothers have in our lives and our families and in our church. Um, but uh, we want to press on in God's word this morning. And so in Jeremiah we have come to a somewhat familiar passage, or at least a somewhat familiar concept. I don't know that a lot of people recognize its origins in Jeremiah, but the idea of potters and clay. And we are going to be talking about this a little bit, and we have actually songs that are built around this uh, imagery that we have in God's Word. Um, and this is not the last time that it will be used. It, we're actually going to be pressing through chapter 18 and into chapter 19 this morning, though we didn't read it in our Bible reading period. Um, but uh, we also, of course, find it raised again when we get into the New Testament, where Paul asks a question of, of the Romans, you know, in chapter 9 of Romans, you know, do you have the right to talk to the potter if you're the clay and complain about what you've been made into? And, of course, the answer was, is no. But we find, hopefully, a consistency in its application that is probably very different than how we perceive it to be. And, uh, and again, it is not an overriding rule of this imagery throughout all of Scripture, but there is, uh, here in Jeremiah, a very consistent application that I think also applies to Romans 9, which is what we're going to be looking at this morning as well, uh, and presses into chapter 19 of Jeremiah. And so we're going to be looking at this imagery and its application, and, um, and sometimes it's misapplication, and, uh, and also we're going to see the principles around this imagery that are very different than the modern or the uh, uh, reform position on it. And, and we want to talk a lot about that as well because it's very strongly worded in Jeremiah that while God is certainly the potter, he is not um, ignorant or disrespective of the uh, condition of men to have a will. And thus he conditions his work upon that to a degree. And we're going to find that very evident in our text this morning. Before we do so, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. We thank you again for the opportunity to gather in your word and with your people and by your spirit. We pray that you might just uh, work powerfully during this time, not because of our worthiness of it, but rather of your grace and mercy toward us, uh, that what is spoken might be according to your word of truth. Again, not built upon the study of men, but upon your spirit's uh, unction today. And Lord, we uh, just commit ourselves to you, and we desire to hear your truth, that we might have an opportunity to respond by faith. And we pray that uh, certainly you might uh, give us that opportunity today, as your word describes and again, Lord, we do pray that you might give us um, wisdom today. 
and the handling of your word and its application. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we have read earlier this morning, we find um, this pattern uh, repeating again where God takes Jeremiah, um, has a personal little encounter with Jeremiah, and then he is sent out with that encounter to the people of Israel, the people of Judah, technically. Uh, the people then respond um, overwhelmingly negatively throughout Jeremiah. And Jeremiah, in the course of it, either prior to his message or right after his message in response, has to pour himself out before the Lord, either trying to, uh, based upon, depend upon what the message uh, that God gives him to speak, either trying to, to uh, present the, the position of the people to God and ask him for grace and mercy toward them, or in the case that we have before us, uh, praying, God, please protect me from them um, and bring judgment upon them. And so we're going to find that same uh, chronology, if you will, that, that same pattern throughout all of these uh, various messages that Jeremiah has, again, over an entire lifetime, um, 40 years of ministry. And so the word comes to Jeremiah, says... Um, my lesson for you today is to, I want you to go down to the potter's house and watch him for a while. Um, that's your lesson today. I want you to go down there and to prepare you for the message that you're going to have to preach. I want you to go down to the potter's house and just watch what he's doing. And he heads down there and he's just going to sit there and watch the potter. And you just wonder if the potter was a little nervous about this, given what happens next. But uh, the potter is working on his pottery. He's got some moldable clay, and he is making it, and uh, Jeremiah notices that uh, it failed somehow, um, and uh, it says it marred in his hand, and he just scrunched it down and started all over. He took all the fashioning and all the molding, as you, and if you've never seen a potter at his wheel um, and seen the process, it is kind of interesting to watch. Um, it's a little mesmerizing if they're really good at it. Um, see that little thing, and they just take a blob and turn it into a vase or something like that. Sorry, vase, I thought, forgot where I was. Um, and so we find that he's sitting there watching it, and sure enough, it didn't come out exactly how the potter liked, and he just smashes it down back into a blob of clay and begins to fashion it again. And this is the lesson. And God says, as you've watched this potter, this is the message I want you to take to Israel, is that this is how it is with me. You're the clay, I'm the potter. And I can make you into what I want, and if that doesn't suit me, if it doesn't please me, if, if it's not in accordance with my desires and, and the, 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 my will, then I will break you down and refashion you so that you are in accordance with my purposes and will. Um, and again, we find uh, this passage, first of all, being an illustration not of the individual, but of the nation. And this is where I want you to start with, understanding these passages that speak so heavily about the working of God um, in this capacity that he will make you or break you. He will make you into what he wants you to be or he will um, break you down. And I want you to notice very quickly in chapter 18, um, 
really beginning earlier on, but let's pick up in verse 7. It says, The instant I speak concerning a nation, concerning a kingdom, to pluck up, to pull down, to destroy it, if that nation... Do you get the idea very quickly? We are not talking about the individual. We are talking about the body, the group, the nation, that that people that are called by his name. He says, listen, as, as a nation, if I make a determination in me, um, there's really very little you can do. In fact, there's only one response that you can do. Um, and whether it's good or bad, you have one response, either obedience or disobedience. And so for this nation, I have decided uh, I am going to tear you down. Well, you're in trouble because nothing can stop me. I'm the potter and you're the clay. And the clay, while it looks, if you watch the, the clay on a wheel, and I, I probably should have just tried to get one of those and have them work over here while I'm preaching. Um, it looks like the clay's alive, doesn't it? I mean, that, that potter just, the wheel's going, the clay's spinning around, and that potter just takes a tool or his own hands and rides it right up, and suddenly the clay just seems to follow right with it, and it, and it transforms over this, the, the movement upward of the potter, and we think, well, the clay looks alive, um, but in fact, it's not. The one that is doing all the action, including the spinning, um, and the elevation is the work of the potter. And so God here is saying that you are completely as a nation at my disposal. That's why you exist, is for my purposes. And if I decide to destroy you, how can any of you condemn me for that? I can make you and I can destroy you. But I'm not doing this willy-nilly. God does, is not, does not have that kind of, of spirit about him. He has purposefulness. And so it's not just, oh, you know, i just uh, making this. Oh, I decided I'm going to make something else. No, there's something marred in what he has made. There's something that has gone wrong with it. It is either something in the clay that didn't fashion properly, something in it that he didn't like, that it was uh, broken, that had failed And so he begins over again. And we find that this is not an illustration that is consistently used with reference to the molding of people, but of bodies of people, nations, the people of God. And even in Romans 9, when we go there, the whole passage is really talking about how could God cut off Israel and graft in the Gentiles. And God says, I'm the potter. Who are you to tell me I can't do that? He's not really talking on an individual basis. He's really talking on a a people-wide basis. And so the whole argument of the Jews in the terms of the New Testament was, how dare you think that God has, 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 is finished with the law and is finished with Moses and now that you're going to uh, insert all of these Gentiles and they're fo- not following our rules and they're not going, they're not being very good Jews. Um, how dare you? And God's response is that, well, you weren't around when I chose Jacob over Esau. I chose to make you a nation. 
I chose Jacob. You didn't. There wasn't anything in Jacob that I chose. He responded. And in Romans 9, he says the same as today, that Israel, I fashioned you, I can unfashion you. And this is exactly the application of Jeremiah. This is not for the individual. If somehow God forms you into a Christian or forms you into a non-Christian, that somehow he has that uh, that exercise of his uh, sovereignty upon us that we have no choice. Even in the exercise of nations, there's still a choice. But I want you to notice that this illustration of the potter and the clay is about nations. Repeatedly, he says, if I decide to uh, pluck up, pull down, and to destroy a nation... In verse 7, I can do it. But notice that there's a principle behind him. Just as there's a principle in the potter and the clay, the potter can't just do whatever he wants in fashion. So, I mean, if you just you know, start randomly sticking your finger in here and there or putting a tool in here and there, um, you can very quickly destroy it. But rather there's a purposefulness and a, and a skill involved. So God comes in and he says, listen, if I make this decision, notice it is decision. If the instant I speak concerning a nation, he has made a choice sufficiently enough, he has made a decision sufficiently strong enough that he has even spoken it and spoken it to the nation. He has made this determination In his mind, he has then communicated that determination to the prophet. The prophet then takes it to the people, and God waits. I say, well, why? He's already made the decision. What can be done about it? Well, the fact is, is that this is a work in progress. We have a real hard time dealing with the concept of a sovereign God being progressive. That is that he, he is in, in the progress, in the act of forming his people. We have him rather being a very static God that is not personal, not interreactive, with, interrelational with us at all, um, but that he has just um, stipulated these things and therefore they must come to be. But a passage like this makes it very obvious, I would think, that such a God does not exist. He is an interactive God. He says, even the instant that I have made this decision, declared it to my prophet, the prophet has declared it to the nation, even for a nation, there is still hope. And here you have this doom declared upon you, and God says, if... What a wonderful thing. If that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil, I relent of the disaster that I thought to bring upon it. That is, I will turn and and instead of bringing disaster, I'll bring blessing. And we have an example of that, don't we? In the book of Jonah is our prime example. Here Jonah comes in and says, and, and walks the, with the, the whole city, and, and depending on which version you have, it's either three days or 40 days, yet three days or yet 40 days, and God will bring disaster upon this city, Nineveh. 
I don't know if someone in Nineveh had Jeremiah chapter 18 or not, but they sure acted like they did. Whoa, all right, God's going to do this? All right, what's the if thing? What do we have to do? Um, We have to turn from our evil, and the disaster will be relented of. And that's what they did. They turned from their evil. They repented of it. They mourned it um, from king to beast uh, in the, in the, in the uh, stall. They, they fasted. They wept. They, they prayed that it might be avoided. And they relented. And God then relented of that evil. And um, for that season, on, the, on that generation... And in fact, that generation becomes an instrument of God. That later generation becomes an instrument of God. It is, I'm convinced because of the, their response to the, to Jonah that we very quickly have the rise of the Assyrian Empire with Nineveh as the capital that goes down and captures all of Israel and threatens all of Jerusalem. This is a nation that God was prepared to catastrophically eliminate their capital city. Vroom. But they turned from their evil. And the principle was established. And Jonah isn't very happy about it, and that's why he didn't want to go, because he knew this principle too. He knew that if he went, just by the sheer act of going, he is giving them a chance, an opportunity. And this is the power of the working of the prophet. Is It sounds like he's got a message that's horrible. And why would he even want to hear it? And in fact, that's how people take Jeremiah. We're tired of hearing all your words. Are you, are you ever going to change your message? Don't you have anything good to say to us? But everything he was saying to them was good. If they would have accepted it, it was for their good. Now, moms, this is Mother's Day, so I'm going to use you. I could have used the dads here. But how many times have you communicated to your children, maybe even already today, this is for your own good? You don't like it. You cry about it. You kick and scream, but it's for your own good. And that goes from eating your vegetables all the way to taking the the spankings on the bottom that you deserve. It's for your own good. They don't see it that way. Do you ever notice that? Yeah, right. You hate me, and I hate you. That's their response, and that's exactly how Israel responds to God. When God says, this is for your own good, I am sending you these prophets with these messages of doom that are, they're not fun. Let's just be blunt about it. there's, there's There's no joy in eating certain vegetables. I don't even know why we try to serve lima beans to people because, you know, but they're just, but they're necessary. The veggies are good for them, and we know it's for their own benefit. And here the prophet comes with this message, and we don't want it. We don't want to hear it, but if we ignore it, if we oppose it, if we spit those out, and, and we had a kid that we, we'd push the multivitamins down her throat and she'd spit it out. She'd store it somewhere and we'd find piles of them in different places that she'd hide them. Um, <clears throat> oh, she's not here today. Oh, phew. Now you all know which one it is. 
It was for her own good. She didn't want it. And this, God says, it's for your own good, I'm saying, this prophets. I know you don't like the message they're saying, but their purpose, my purpose, is to bring you to repentance, which is going to deliver you from the doom and the horror that's going to come that he's telling you about. And so God reserves the right, and this is wrapped up in the verse 6. Um, can I not do with you as this potter, says the Lord? Look, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so you are in my hand, O house of Israel. And again, he's talking to the house. He's talking to the nation. He says, listen, this is the power I have over you. This is the authority that I possess in reference to you as a nation. And in fact, not only your nation, but every nation. Get that, people? God has this kind of authority over every nation. It doesn't matter whether they're communists and deny that God exists. It doesn't matter whether they're Muslim. It doesn't matter if they're, if they're pseudo-Christian. It doesn't matter um, if, if they just are, are totally secular or try to be. God has this authority over every nation. He doesn't say just the people of Israel. He says, if any nation I decide to destroy, if they will get it right, I'll change. Similarly, God says, if I speak concerning a nation, concerning a kingdom, to build and to plant it, if it does evil in my sight, though it does not obey my voice, then I will relent concerning the good with which I said I would benefit it. And I'm going to go back to Assyria. Remember, they responded. One generation responded to Jonah, relented and repented of its evil. God relented of what he was going to do to them and blessed them, raised them up. And, they, and up comes the Assyrian Empire out of all of this. And they come in. But then they did something evil. As they surrounded Jerusalem, what did they do? They, 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 they spoke evil of the God of Israel, the one who had raised them up the one who built them up and really gave them the victories over Israel. Um, now they're surrounding Jerusalem and they're speaking horrific things, blaspheming the God of Israel. And God says, oh, no, that's it. You've done evil. Yes, it was by my hand that you came and were built up and now it's by my hand and that is within the context of the story where they walk out and remember the lepers go out there and everyone's gone. The Assyrians are, boom, gone. God says, I'm going to destroy you. And I have that power and authority. And that exercise of authority is over every nation, of every generation of the whole earth. There are no exceptions. And so the principle stands. God is still... The potter. And every nation is simply clay. God may build them up and God may destroy him, them at his pleasure, but his pleasure is, is formed by principles that he lives by. And these are the principles. And so we may be enjoying a season of of blessing in our nation, 
but that is maybe dependent upon a generation somewhere back there stopping its evil. And we've had several generations in America that have done that. Perhaps the one generation that draws my attention because the world laughs at it, but its influence and power was substantial. It was really the last golden age of influence for the church on a nation. And that was the age of prohibition. Where our preachers transformed our country to repent as a nation and to do what's right to such a degree that we made it constitutional. Consider how far we have come in 80 years from that time. Now, you may, and I have heard preachers say, oh, that was a, that was a foolishness, that was a disaster, that was, um, no, that was a nation repenting. That's what it looks like. You might say, oh, but there were speakeasies and there, were, there, there was the underworld of crime was there, there was bootleggers, there was all this. Well, if you think those things weren't going on in Nineveh, you don't understand the heart of men. But this is as a nation, as an overwhelming majority. And it's fascinating that everyone laughs at the era of prohibition in our nation, but what they never do is to raise up all of the (laughs) facts of what happened during prohibition. They never share what happened to marriages and how strong they became and how rare divorce became. They never talked about the crime rate dropping dramatically in violent crimes. They never talk about the suicide rate dropping dramatically during that period. They never show all of those statistics of the improvement that it created in our homes, in our lives, in our health, and in the climate of our nation. So the principle still stands, and by the way, we are the nation that thought to come up against Jerusalem was riding the tide of the the wave of blessing that was from one generation, and that generation lost it by cursing God. And we are that generation. We have come so far so fast, just as the Assyrians that we simply wait for God to say, enough of that. I'm going to remold that. For if we do evil in his sight, so it doesn't obey God's voice, I will relent concerning the good with which I would benefit it, verse 10 says. And so, this is the interaction that God has with Jeremiah. And so Jeremiah goes out there and gets to speak. He says, verse 11, Now therefore speak to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and say, Thus says the Lord, 
I am fashioning a disaster, devising a plan against you. Return now, everyone, from his evil way. Make your ways and your doings good. I am going to tell you again this horrible message that none of you like to hear. Doom is on its way. Can't we ever have just a nice, feel-good sermon? Well, not from Jeremiah. And remember the principle. The principle is I'm sending you to communicate my intentions so that you have an opportunity to avoid them. That's the purpose. But look at the people's response. The people's response, which is going to be a normative response. This is going to be a natural response that we're going to see by the people. They said, this is the house of Judah, the men of Judah said, this is hopeless. We keep hearing the same message, and you say that the way to get deliverance is to repent, repent, repent. Do you not have any, a plan B? Let's hear a plan B for once. Something other than repent. Can you just give me something different? Some other avenue? Isn't there a window to heaven? We don't like the door. Give us another, give us some other scheme. That one's hopeless. And since you won't give us another scheme, we'll just walk according to our own plans. We'll follow our own hearts. We'll devise our own ways. And hence, God says, you have just pronounced your own doom. I began that process by determining to tear you down. I sent a messenger giving you an opportunity to respond, and he's going to do it for a lengthy period of time, really. Um, God doesn't, you know, he's pretty patient, but when the time comes, boom, it's there. And so he's very patiently giving him this opportunity, and repeatedly, over and over again, says, oh, we We're not putting our hope in you. We're not putting our hope in your message. We are tired of this one way. There's only one way. We're tired of this. Repent, 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 repent. That's all the guy ever says. Repent, repent. By the way, I'm pretty sure that's what um, John the Baptist said. And Jesus. And Peter. And Paul. Do you get the impression that there's just one way and there's always been just one way? (laughs) Do you think it's going to change people? Do you think the way is going to change? Do you think that somewhere around 1500s that there became a second way to get to heaven? No. There's always been just one way. There will always only be one way. And that way involves you repenting. Surprise. But yet, most of the people in this world are shocked at the concept that, God, I have to repent. Why can't God just accept me the way I am? Because he's God. He's the potter. You're just clay. As a people. And so God, again, takes the time to express his own wonder at the foolishness of men. And that they have, because they have forgotten him, and gone prostituting themselves to other gods, that the desolation, the doom, is sure. Calamity will come. And there are no other means to avoid it. Because you have 
rejected the means God has determined. And so not only did they say, we're not going to follow your path, we're going to follow our own path, we're not, we're not, we think what you are saying is hopeless, but uh, we've got a better scheme, we've got, we got a way around all of that so that we don't have to do all that hard work of repentance and do what's right and be obedient. Not only that, but secondly, as a people, the men of Judah gather together in verse 18. And part of their plan is to silence Jeremiah. What does an evil heart do? And I think we need to grasp this a little bit better so we can better engage our culture and understand what we're up against in our nation. A nation, a national evil heart. And I'm going to try to stipulate it's different than an individual's heart, but in terms of the will and purpose of a nation. is not only to reject God's way and to devise their own way. That isn't enough for them. Their evil is more substantial than that. And I think we believe that that's what we're up against, is an evil that ends right there, that ends with saying, we just want two paths. You pick your path, we'll take our path. And, and in our mind, our psyche, we think that that's the condition of our nation, that it stops there, that that's the extent of their evil. But it is not the extent of their evil, no more than it was the extent of the evil of the hearts of the men of Judah. It didn't want to stop there. It wasn't enough for them to have, you take your path, we're going to take our path, and let's just not fret about each other, and you leave me alone, I'll leave you alone. That isn't enough. Because the depth of corporate evil is much more substantial. And if you ever want to see it at work in a moment, watch a mob. Individuals would never think to do the things they do when they're gathered around an incited mob, engaged in activities that are horrific. And we look at a mob scene and we go, how can anyone do that? Because they're in a mob. It is a multiplication factor. You put a whole bunch of hearts that are not godly together and they don't end up the same. They, they, you've just multiplied it by many factors. And the corporate evil is always capable of doing more than any one individual. And so here, the men of Israel say, your plan is hopeless. We don't believe a word of it. Repentance will not fix the political, the economic, the social situation we're up against. Your way is silly. We are going to devise our own way. We're going to pour all of our energies in it. We're going to get all of our greatest brains, all of our, all of our wisest people together. We're going to devise our own way. And you might say, well, that's, and, and a lot of people in America think that's the condition of what's going on. But it's not. That's part of what we're up against. But notice, much like the men of Judah, what do they really want? They want to destroy God's way. They don't just want two parallel paths, or not parallel paths, because 
we're definitely going a different direction than they're going. Uh, they do not want just separate but equal. That is not really what they want. And here it says, what, what is our plan? Well, part of their plan, of their own plan, is not just to figure out a way for themselves to deliver themselves, but part of their plan, of their heart, is to silence the other plan. Verse 18 is, come, let us devise plans against Jeremiah. For the law shall not perish from the priest, nor counsel from the wise, nor the word from the prophet. Come, let us attack him with the tongue, and let us not give heed to any of his words. So it is not sufficient for them to say, you're okay, I'm okay. We think that's the attitude of our society, but it is not. The attitude of our society is, we're okay, and you need to shut up. Go away. And yes, at this point, they're not ready to kill Jeremiah. That's coming. (laughs) But notice where it starts. It doesn't start by, let's kill him. It's, let's silence him. Let's over-talk him. Let's attack him with the tongue so that no one can hear any of his words. So every time Jeremiah gets up to say, someone else say, Oh, why are you going to talk again, you troubler of Israel? Are you, gonna, you got the same message? All right, listen, people, I got something better over here. Every time he gets up to talk, they're going to ridicule him. They're going to silence him. They're going to over-talk him so that no one listens to his words. And this is the first evidence of their real goal, and that is they want to destroy him. They are not just neutral to the truth. They are against it. And this we need to understand as we go out and engage our society is that as a nation, they are not just living separate but equal. That is not their goal. That is not their objective. It is not what the culmination of their heart. It is simply the first manifestation of their heart. The next manifestation of their heart is to go against this. They want to destroy, to silence, to stop this, and eventually to completely destroy this. That's their desire. They have to kill people to do it. They have to make you into try to talk as though you're a fool. Try to overtalk you so you don't get a chance to talk. Try to humiliate you. I mean, they did it all. They threw the guy into a pit. Ha ha ha! Let's hear. Go preach now. You can preach in your pit. They threw him in jail. They drug him around. They took him to Egypt. I mean, this guy had hardly half of his life his own. The Babylonians treat him better. We learned that already. And this is what we are seeing in our nation today. Do not get the idea that there is neutralness in the world that will give you a hearing. That is not what we are up against. We are We are facing a society that is full-hearted against what you believe, what you represent, who you represent, and point blank, they are against anything that 
claims to be truth. You want to see how ridiculous it is in our society? The most liberal elements in our society, um, which are usually in our public school system, um, you can't possibly introduce anything Christian there, um, nothing of the Bible, uh, none of the songs there. Uh, don't even try to put it on your T-shirt. Um, but if you show up and introduce something Muslim, well, this is cultural studies. And we can't deny their culture. We can deny your culture, but not that culture. And it's fascinating because look at their culture. So here is all, and, and I'm, no, I'm making generalizations. So here are, because most of our teachers are women in, in a public school system, here are these gals in there um, that are being the, religion police against Christianity who are then bringing in Islamic ideas, um, Islamic ideas that, fascinatingly enough, um, under Sharia law, would enslave these women and put them to death. Yeah, that's consistent. Why would they, career women... Not having their head covered, not dressing the part, um, introduce this twisted religion of Islam into the classroom, allows penetration there, when in its full force, it condemns them to death. Why? Because as a culture, our heart is that much against the truth is that we will align ourselves with those and philosophies that are against us. They're not choosing between the worst of two evils. They're choosing any evil rather than the truth. This is what we are confronting. And no wonder God is prepared to destroy them. And so when we come to the prayer of Jeremiah, over and over again, we keep coming to his prayers, this is where you are. You are in this condition. I want you to come to these verses, verses 19 and following, and I don't want you to say, well, this is Jeremiah. I want you to recognize this is where you are at. Because this is where our society is at. They're not just, you believe what you want, we'll leave you alone. That is, that is a lie that has put the Christian community into a stupor. The fact is, is that they are so wholeheartedly against the truth of Christianity, they will make deals with the devil himself to steal their own lives just to silence it. So now that you have that perspective, perhaps we can study the balance of this chapter with a little more significant viewpoint of realizing that uh, this is our kind of praying. Give heed to me, O Lord, and listen to the voice 
of those who contend with me. We are in a condition of being contended against by our society. They are not neutral. They are complete enemies of the truth that you seek to live under. And so, first thing Jeremiah says, give heed to me, O Lord, and listen to what they're saying. Shall evil be repaid for good? A reminder that we go out with a gospel message that we call the evangel, which means the good news. We go out trying to penetrate our culture, our, the people in it, with the truth of God's word, and it is for their benefit that we do it because we so want them to avoid the death and destruction for eternity that awaits them. And for that good of telling them, repent so you can avoid. Repent so you can enter the kingdom of God. They repay it with evil. And Jeremiah already knows they dug a pit for my life. A picture of what's to come. Remember that I stood before you to speak good for them. So we have both facets of his ministry. God, I, I was trying to do good to them. I preached to them what you told me to preach so that with the hope that they would repent, that you would change your mind towards them because of their repentance, and instead of destroying them, you will permit them to continue and to be blessed. And so I only wanted what was good for them. That was one facet. We've also seen the other facet in Jeremiah's ministry where he pled the cause of Judah to Jerusalem. I prayed for them. I didn't just do good to them. I was trying to do good for them. I came to you on their behalf and says, Oh Lord, can't you please give us more chances? Can't you do something so we don't have to go through this? And I pled for them like Moses and other Samuel who pled to God on behalf of Israel. And he says, I, I spoke good for them to turn away your wrath from them. So I tried to turn them to you and I tried to turn your wrath away from them. I tried to work both ends to avoid this catastrophe. <laughs> and yes, this is what we do. We try to communicate people, please repent, please repent, please do what's right, please be obedient, please walk in the light, please walk in the spirit, Please do these things, and all the while, and I know some of you don't realize this is going on, but all the while, when it sounds like I'm down on people saying, yeah, walk with the Lord, yeah, and, and it comes off, live your choices, things like that. I'm trying to communicate, you chose this, you could have, should have chosen better, you can choose better, please choose better. Walk in the Lord. All while I'm doing that, I'm over here in my office praying, oh Lord, have mercy on them. Lord, please don't give them what these choices are going to bring them. Lord, please bring them to repentance. Please help them. That's what I pray. It's not what I preach. It's what I pray. The prophet of God works both sides. 
He seeks to bring the people to God and he seeks to bring God's mercy to them. And so he did all of that. And this is the reaction. The reaction is, we don't want to hear this. We're going to kill you. And because of their reaction, that's what verse 21 starts off, therefore, Jeremiah's prayer is transformed. He has already preached. He has already prayed for them. He has already preached for their good, to to give them life, and they seek to take his. He has already done all of that. And in verse 21, we have the shift in his prayer. Therefore, that therefore is because of the choices that they have made. Though I have done all that you have called me to do of good, therefore, and you start to read verses 21 and 22. Can we pray these kind of prayers? Therefore, Lord, deliver them up to your destruction. Do your worst. Make their children starve. Their blood be shed. Take away their husbands. Take away their children. Whether in battle or by famine. And yes, overwhelmingly, is the women that are left destitute. And let me remind you, and I didn't plan this because it's Mother's Day, let me remind you that not so many chapters ago, who was it that led the hearts of the homes away from God? It was the mommies. Sending their kids out into the world to collect wood to burn on the fires that they would burn their sibling on. And shame on us when we send our children out into the world to make their way there and to, which we know will only destroy them. And then the day comes when those choices and that foolishness reaps a harvest, and that harvest is one of tears and of misery upon those same women. And so Jeremiah says this is what they want, and therefore, while I try to do good for them by preaching them the truth, I try to do good for them by praying to you on their behalf, yet this is where they are, and Lord, you know all their counsel that they are just against me, and by being against him, they are really against the truth. They're really against God. They want to slay Jeremiah, but what they really want to slay is the truth. They want to slay God. And so in that condition, there is no atonement for their iniquity. There's no covering. There's no way to deal with it. There's no way to, to remove it. There's no remission. There's no the term blotting it out there. there there's just nothing left, because there is only one way. And therefore, deal with them with your anger. All that's left is the anger of God. And so we say, if they won't, if this is their response, and they persist and persist and persist. Remember, Jeremiah didn't pray this after one bad encounter, okay? This is 40 years. And he's not the only prophet. There are prophets before him as well. Prophets with him during those times. 
And he says, if, if this persists, Lord, pour your anger out on them because that's all that's left. They've rejected the one way. It was preached to them faithfully. And I've prayed for them and prayed for them and prayed for them and now they have made themselves my enemy when I was nothing but their friend. And so, Lord, what's left but for you to destroy them, to bring the misery into their life that they are deserving of because they don't want your grace, they don't want your mercy because they don't want your way. And let us understand that that this is not about God controlling everything. This is about God's way. What he has communicated here is not this super-sovereignty that we find, this hyper-sovereignty that's being taught in many of our churches. What we find is God's way and his responsiveness to if you choose my way you'll have deliverance. You'll have life. Just choose my way. Repent, repent, repent. And I will mold you as a people into what you should be as a nation. And so, we are in a time in our nation where the influence of pastors is gone. When did that begin, LBJ? When he was our president. He devised a way to silence pastors. He devised a way in the IRS code to silence pastors. We'll give you tax-exempt status if you don't preach politics. Brethren, the truth is about politics. It really is. It says this is wrong and this is right. This is how a nation comes back. Repent. And we went from a generation years ago where pastors transformed this country to a generation where pastors not just are being ignored, they're being silenced, spoken against, marginalized. And in fact, by this point, We have succumbed to be just echoing what the world wants us to say. And so, brethren, we pray these kinds of prayers. Lord, listen to what they're saying. We'll keep preaching. We'll keep praying. But as long as they choose to be the enemies of your people and the enemies of truth, your anger should remain upon their shoulders, on their heads. And the misery that accompanies that is what they have earned. Well, we're not done with the potter, but I'm done with my message because I'm out of time. I meant to go into chapter 19. We're going to revisit the potter's house next Sunday. And again, see the unpopularity of the message as we press into chapter 20. But I just want to challenge you today to understand the condition of your society and recognize why it is so 
vital. Because our trust isn't in society, and it cannot be any longer, for they have expressed the compounded evil of their corporate heart, and it is not neutral towards you as against you. And so pray the Lord and recognize that his judgment is soon to come. And I wish that I could say that this was only in this country, that this was the condition, but as I have had contact around the world, I find that this is the global community is in this state. There's only one reason I'm not in, didn't go to India this year, is because I wrote down that I was a pastor on the application. Yeah, it's not just this nation. It is a global condition. The pastors are being told, shut up and go away. We don't want you. We don't want your message. We don't want the truth. And so the judgment of God is coming not just on a nation, but the nations. And it is the last one. And it is soon upon us. So how should we live? Faithfully. Keep preaching. Keep praying. Not to save nations, but to save individuals from the doom that will come on the nations very soon. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. And Lord, we do pray that we might be a people willing to repent, that can recognize your love for us and that your call to repentance and your, in your uh, communication of your, of your uh, principles is for us to respond properly. And Lord, we see our nation and we have prayed for her and we have prayed for all the nations, and we have preached your word, and you hear what they say. You hear how they blaspheme your name and your son, how they would go after any other God but the one true and living God, that they would even allow within their midst uh, a violent God that would destroy them, and yet they will promote them. So Lord, you hear them. And help us to persist in our faithful ministry. But Lord, there is no reason but your own mercy and grace for you not to pour out your wrath on them today. And so Lord, remember it. Remember their words. Remember their heart. Remember that they have heard your word and rejected it. And if that wasn't enough, try to keep any others from hearing it. Lord, remember this evil that they have done to your people. But more importantly, what they have done to your word. And bring your judgment to bear. For we know that without accepting your way, there is no other way. And indeed, because they rejected your way, the potter's way, Their condition now is hopeless. And so, Lord, we turn our attention to the individuals around us. And we pray that you might open hearts. No, Lord, we pray we open that one heart. 
that one heart that I have contact with. That I might speak your truth there. That you might bring conviction there. That they might, might respond by faith and trust in you and be delivered from the wrath that is sure to come now. And Lord, we do not look to our nation for deliverance. We look to the individual for you to deliver him in the midst. And we know that you will, even as you are faithful to that generation, to the men of God who were carried away securely, safely into captivity, even Jeremiah himself. And we thank you for your faithfulness to the individual, even as a nation goes awry. Lord, we recognize your authority. That authority that establishes just one way to make this right. Lord, help us not to muddy our message with any other of man's devices. Lord, give us the boldness to preach one word. Repent. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.